In the letter to the Hebrews, we hear that the word of God is living and effective, sharper than any two-edged sword. And yet, so often in our life, the word of God impacts us like a butter knife on our hearts. It does nothing but cause maybe a bit of an inconvenience or the feeling of pressure. But when we immerse ourselves in the Word of God, over time, God will, at some point, cut us open with His Word. And this week, I felt like I was cut in two by the Word of God. There's a lot going on in my life. There's a lot going on in the parish. I have a lot of things in my head, on my heart, and on my plate. And St. Paul tells us today, I should like you to be free of anxieties. But Lord, this building is starting to fall apart. We have to raise the money for that. We don't have the money. Where are we going to find it? I would like you to be free of anxieties. But Lord, we need to continue to build this ministry and reach every soul on campus. And yes, we're being effective and yes, we're growing, but we're still not reaching others. How are we going to get there? I would like you to be free of anxieties. But Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm unworthy. You call me to be a priest. You call me to be the pastor. You call me to be an example for others. And I feel like I can barely do anything right. I would like you to be free of anxieties. And that's just my heart. I'm sure for everyone in this church right now, there are so many things that we brought to the Lord today that are causing us stress and tension, that are causing us fear and anxiety. And God says to you, I would like you to be free of anxieties. Are things not working out in your family? Are you struggling in your prayer life? Are you falling into habitual sin? I would like you to be free of anxiety. The Lord has come to save us. It is possible for each and every one of us with confidence and great hope to believe that we can be set free. Because why? Because Jesus is the Holy One of God. And He has come to each and every one of us. Not only has He come to us, He has planted Himself in the very depths of our soul through the indwelling of His Spirit in baptism and in confirmation. And because He loves us so much, He offers us Himself in the Eucharist because on our own, we are slaves to our fears and our anxieties. But in Jesus, we are free. We are free in Jesus. But it is hard for us to get there because there are so many things that knock on our hearts that keep us from being there. And so we must start with something simple. Yes, St. Paul says, I would like you to be free of anxieties, but we must start with trust in Jesus. That beautiful prayer at the bottom of the image of divine mercy, Jesus, I trust in you. We must cry out again and again and again to Jesus, I trust in you. Jesus, I trust that you will set me free from this sin. 
Jesus, I trust that you will take care of me and my family. Jesus, I trust that you will provide the resources this parish needs to fulfill its mission. Jesus, I trust in you. And this is not a prayer we say once and move on. This is the eternal prayer of our hearts. Jesus, I trust in you. I trust that your promises are fulfilled. Jesus, I trust that the power you exercised over the demon in today's gospel, you exercise each and every day in my life. Maybe not in such a profound and manifest way, but you, Lord, have control of my life and of my heart and of the world around me, and I trust that you are leading me. Jesus, I trust in you. If you don't know what to do, if you don't know what to say, Jesus, I trust in you. I am insufficient and not enough. I will fail, but you, Lord, will not. Your promises are always fulfilled. Your love is infinite. Jesus, I trust in you. The prayer of our heart also must manifest itself, though, in our lives. It's wonderful and it's necessary for us to say, Jesus, I trust in you, but then we have to act on it. And there are two ways that we act on it as Christians, and it's pretty much two sides of the same coin. Confession. First and foremost, the sacrament of confession if we've fallen into sin. Jesus, I trust that nothing I have done cannot be made clean and made whole and made right by your mercy and your love. But the second thing, and the one where we really step into the challenge of being a human being following Jesus, is confessing and sharing our broken hearts and our broken lives with those who are closest to us. That veil that separates the private life from the public life is a veil that often causes our interior life to rot and corrode because we allow nothing to get in there. It's not a two-way blanket, right? It's just, it's closed off. What I say in confession, what I say in the silence of my heart, no one else knows or has the right to know. That will kill you. But that also illustrates a lack of trust in Jesus. Because Jesus doesn't want to just free you from the silence and in your heart. He wants you to be free in all that you do. And so we must build those relationships and say to our friends and to our families and those who are closest to us, what is going on in our life? And so often we're afraid to say that because if we say this to that friend, that friend may not respond well or may not want to be our friend anymore. And that hurts, but that's a blessing. Because if that person does not want to be in the depths of your heart with you, they are not your friend and you are wasting your time in that relationship. We must share our hearts. We must take that risk. We must show our trust in the Lord by entrusting our hearts to other disciples, to other people who are following after Jesus. That's why it's so imperative, especially for us to be immersed deeply in a Christian community. This is why we strive in so much with what we do, just to build relationships with people so that no matter what happens, you know there's someone who you can say, this is what's on my heart. And you'll be treated with love and dignity and respect. But not only must we say, Jesus, I trust in you and confess, we've also got to start doing that work. We've got to make the effort. We've got to step into that little change that the Lord is calling us to. 
So often, especially if you're struggling with a long-term sin, something you struggle with often, or really toxic relationships that have been plaguing you for a long time, it's easy to think that there's no way I can overcome that. Well, you're not going to overcome it today, but you can do the work today that'll put you in a better place tomorrow, that'll put you in a better place a week from now, that'll put you in a better place a year, 10 years from now. We have to do those little things each and every day. We have to cultivate our prayer life. We have to go out and serve the poor. We have to build relationships. If we want to be free of anxiety, we need to be a human being in right relationship with other people. We need to do those things that are difficult and take those risks because Jesus loves us and we trust him and we trust that his promises will be fulfilled. Because he is one who teaches with power, with authority. He is one who teaches with perfect love. He heals us and he sets us free. What does that look like in our lives? About 10 years ago, I was living in Chicago at our, at our house, our, our provincial headquarters in Chicago. I was helping in the, in the provincial office for the summer. My parents came up for the 4th of July, and that house in Chicago is our retirement home. It's most of our guys who are physically able to take care of themselves, but they can't go out and do the things, preach and teach and things like that, and so, or they have medical issues. But they're not, it's not a nursing home, but it's guys who aren't quite to that level of nursing home yet but need some extra care. And on the roof of our building, it's like the highest building in the area, you can see a whole panorama of Chicago. And on the 4th of July, you can see fireworks everywhere. It's awesome. So my parents came up for a visit. My parents and I are standing there. We're watching the fireworks with all the guys on the roof. And my mom and dad are asking me, well, how old is Father Jim? Well, he's 89. How old is Father Giles? He's 92. How old is Father Greg? He's 93. How old? And then my, I said to my dad, I go, I, I just, I don't understand it. I guess he's, you know, being a priest, you just live a lot longer. And my dad instantaneously said, I can tell you why they're that old. They never had to pay a mortgage or put kids through school or put kids through braces. They've never had to wait up at night wondering if their son or daughter is going to come home or tell them that they're pregnant. And I was like, okay, dad, I get it. You have a lot of stress in your life. Thank you for all the hardships that you bore for all of your kids. I get it. But as I've thought about that over the years, it's, it's true, right? Like, there are stresses and anxieties. But we get to choose what we do with those. And the beautiful witness of holiness is that we take those difficulties to the Lord and to each other. They don't tear us apart. When we are standing there with all those wonderful, holy old priests, and thinking of all the hardships they endured in the missions, in their parishes, in their priesthood. And what did they do which led them to be so joyful at that age, even though they were so physically incapacitated? Was they kept bringing those things back to Jesus. They were unafraid. St. Paul says it so beautifully, I should like you to be free of anxieties. Our response can only be, Jesus, I trust in you.